You are listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jack Ward from the world's largest and longest-running showcase of modern audio drama, The Sonic Society, here with my co-host, David Alt. And we're running short again this week in time, aren't we, David? Uh, Indeed we are. Good morning, Jack, and everyone. So short intros mean more audio drama feature time, and today is no exception, as the incredible Two Dead Girls in Jubilee is a new audio drama brought to us by Ethan Wellen. Myra has spent a lifetime running from her past, But when her estranged father dies in a grisly accident, she comes home to take up his secret obsession, the hunt for her baby sister's cold case killer. And it all begins right here on the Sonic Society. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee contains material that may be upsetting to some audiences, including sudden loud noises, adult language, and depictions of murder and suicide. For more information, please find us on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's the number two. Dead Girls Pod. I feel like an alien in this much makeup. I only go out like this for weddings and funerals. And as I examine my face in the car mirror, it occurs to me that I have precisely no idea what I'm doing. Not with my makeup. I think that's fairly obvious. I mean, why I'm parked on the shoulder at all. Maybe it's time to admit I'm not checking my makeup. I'm just trying not to get where I'm going. There's a playground off to the right. Empty sun-baked swings. Chains tugging against corroded grommets. As I stare at the windshield, I feel the pressing weight of recognition sink into my chest. I know this place. I wouldn't have stopped if I'd been paying attention. A path cuts down through the wildflowers. It parallels a creek that drains to a nearby limestone quarry. It arrives at the feet of the two stone girls joined hand in hand. Twenty bitter Hoosier winters have worn their features smooth. But I remember what they looked like. I remember everything about them. On the left is Jessica Kaplan, a second grader who loved Arthur Aardvark and wanted to be an astronaut. Jessie, who, at 4.34 in the afternoon on August 8, 1997, was found floating face down in the Old Town Quarry. I remember this, that she wasn't face up, because the newspaper deemed it God's small mercy that the position of the body spared Jessie's mother the sight of her daughter's posthumous disfigurement. You see, an unknown killer had strangled the girl, removed her pants, and tossed her from the rocky cliffs above, but poor Jessie only reached water on the bounce. On the right 
A half step ahead is Annabelle Abernathy, a seven-year-old who played the Virgin Mary in the Christmas pageant, who won the first grade spelling bee, whose favorite food was ice cream cake. Sweet Annie, who disappeared in a rainstorm and was choked to death with a nylon rope, whose lifeless, half-naked remains were fished from the same old town quarry on July 20th, 1997. Three weeks before Jesse. Three weeks before the people of Jubilee, Indiana, realized their community had become a hunting ground. Both autopsies cited an absence of penetrative trauma, but nothing was more tailor-made for Dateline news than Annie's missing polka dot tights. So I guess it's not surprising that Jubileeners lined up to tell reporters how Annabelle biked down Main Street in those tights or how she'd refused to take them off for the Christmas pageant. I wasn't sure if they were idiots or liars. My ma said maybe both. In an unsolved murder, the bereaved hang desperately to the few things they know for sure. And what I knew for sure was that the tights weren't Annabelle's. She hadn't biked in them. She hadn't hopscotched in them. And she wouldn't have been abducted, murdered, and who knows maybe worse in them except I grew three inches in the spring of 1997, and Ma passed them down to Annie. You see, I don't stop here. On the rare occasion, I return to Jubilee because Annabelle... She was my little sister. Time to go. I only go out like this for weddings and funerals, and I'm not on my way to a wedding. Tonight's top story, a deadly storm, a missing girl, and in Jubilee, Indiana, a homicide investigation. Annabelle was this beautiful, innocent little girl. Well, beautiful is a stretch. Hang, hang on, are you recording this? This is a safe neighborhood, a safe town, and and tonight we're all a little safer because Sheriff Donnelly has the suspect in custody. We're learning a second girl, Jessica Kaplan, has been found dead in Jubilee. Sheriff Donnelly, sir, do you plan to make an apology? We acted on the information available. I'm not going to apologize for that. Conspiracy. That's what I say. Goddamn conspiracy. 33% of murders in this country are never solved. Any reasonable person can see this here's a small town. Them girls was killed by a grass cutting. Him singing Jubilator. That's why he ain't been stopped. The murder of Jesse Kaplan could have been stopped. Except nobody cared about Annie. Nobody did nothing until a second girl died. This is Two Dead Girls in Jubilee. Chapter One, Into the Hay Baler. Coming south from Terre Haute, my father used to say that you exit for Jubilee as soon as you stop smelling shit. But the truth is, Terre Haute doesn't smell anymore, hasn't for years. And so it's all the easier to miss Jubilee, the two-stoplight seat of a tiny county with a hundredfold more hickory trees than people. If you ask most folks here, they'd say that's the way they like it. 
If you manage not to miss it, Pa's exit will take you east, past town, past the statue garden, and the fences of the long-closed quarry, until at last everything gives way to the rolling cornfields of century-old farmsteads. A driveway reaches up towards a narrow white two-story house on a hill. It looks, this time of year, like a bony finger testing the wind. I used to tear up that driveway on my six-speed bike. A boy bike, Ma said, because I'd hacked off the handlebar streamers to improve the aerodynamics. I'd dump it carelessly beside the flower bed, and I'd bound up the creaky porch steps and throw open the screen door. And if Ma was out, and Pa, then I'd tug a red lanyard over my head, a silver house key twinkling at its end, and I'd throw open the door as if this place belonged to me. Or I belonged to it. But today, I park by the mailbox, because the driveway is choked with the cars of well-wishers. And I tiptoe up the porch steps. And the door I flung open a thousand times seems like the door of a stranger's house. Or worse, a gaping portal trying to suck me back into the past. I sense, as I linger here, the eyes of a man beyond the corn. Perhaps an old jubileener, shaggy black overcoat pulled up to his ears, too far off to recognize. Or perhaps the angel of death, surveying the fruits of his labor. Whoever he is, he tips his cap as I retreat from the door. The red lanyard and silver key are long gone. And even though the door is unlocked, I can't convince myself that I belong. Hey, Birdo. Are you inside? You sound like you're in a tunnel. That's Birdo. We work at a nonprofit in Chicago. He likes to say if it weren't for the recession, he'd be doing the Times crossword on a beach in Argentina. But people like that don't give up engineering careers to make pennies in nonprofit data analysis. Well, actually, I'm. I'm hiding in a bush. Okay. I went around to the kitchen window to get an idea of what I was up against. Everyone brought a casserole. If you're planning on staying in that bush until Postmates starts delivering casseroles... Did you call uh, for something specific? You know, there aren't any pictures in your cubicle. I... I don't like clutter. Neither do I. But I keep a few pictures. Gabriela and the nephews... Don't you have anything else to do? Sorry, I... I don't... I mostly keep to myself, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm okay. I promise. Just hiding in a bush. Well, I'm not going to pretend that I've totally processed it. Nobody is ready to hear that somebody's just scraped what's left of your father out of the business end of a hay baler. Myra. We weren't close, Berto. At least we haven't been in a long time. I'm here to make sense of an accident and bury a stranger. And hope the past doesn't chase me any further than that. With all due respect, I think the only way to stop that is to stop running. Easy for you to say. 
All right, you win. When Annabelle died, I learned a lot about the way people process grief. Not their own grief. That's an ancient mystery. I mean, how they process someone else's. There's Mrs. Newsom, my piano teacher. People that old don't shrink from death. She squeezes my shoulder lightly. This will pass, she's saying. If you're around long enough, everything does. Denson McDougall dodges my eyes, like he did in sixth grade English a thousand years ago. Introverts have to work harder to express grief. One must repeat, what a tragedy, what a tragedy, what a tragedy. Pot-bellied Tim Jenkins is giddy. I'm not the dead one. That's all some people can think at these things. And who can blame them? I'm thinking it, and the dead one is my dad. There is no more avoiding the moment I've been dreading. No more stops to check my makeup. No more bushes and kitchen windows. There is only me and the parting crowd and the coffin. And there beside it, in a straight black dress and a solemn black hat, Brenda Abernathy. Myra. What do you say? After a dead sister and the awful fallout. After moving away. What do you say after a decade of missed holidays? After phone calls so bad the phone stops ringing? What do you say after a hay baler? Hey, Ma. I'd like you to do something for your father. Okay. Somebody needs to say a few words. It's the Christian thing. Uh, I don't think... I barely know him anymore. Believe all these casseroles? Knew him. I barely knew him. You didn't him. get a tenth this many casseroles at Annabelle's wake. No. He never wanted a funeral, you know? No flowers. No bagpipes, no ministers. He'd die all over again if he saw some of the hypocrites out there crying over his coffee. At least he'd approve of the casseroles. All I'm asking is a few words. I don't know what I'd say. Isn't your entire job dealing with tragedy? I can't do it, Ma. I, I won't do it. Is this about Annie's 20th? That stupid memorial telephone? No. It's been four years ago, Myra. I said it's you not... You know he never would have even been in front of those cameras if you hadn't... Sure, but that doesn't excuse Myra. Myra. Your father is dead and dismembered. That accident, I, I can't make any sense of that. Now, regardless of your personal feelings about the man, you have an obligation. You're his only living daughter. Someday you're going to be the only thing left of him. Did he suffer? All his life. 
and I want to thank you all for being here to celebrate the life of Edward Joseph Abernathy. Pa was born in Shreveport to Air Force parents. He bought this farm in 1985, and if you knew him for more than a week, then you'd heard him say that he'd seen enough states for one lifetime. He wanted a piece of dirt he could die on. Nice one, Pa. He made a life here in Jubilee. He married Ma. He had me and Annabelle. He'd grown up in houses full of boys. I don't think he ever imagined himself as a father of daughters, but he tried. He adored Annie in particular. And if there's any consolation in this accident, it's that he can finally be up there with her. Not down here with me. Oh, okay, honey, thank you. I used to beg him to teach me to throw a football, take me hunting. After I finished my homework, I'd go out to his workshop and I'd hold wrenches while he fixed farm equipment and ask him questions about the Air Force. That was how I got him to notice me. Annie was the perfect daughter. And I was a proxy for the son he never had. He would never say, Happy Birthday, or Merry Christmas, or just... I'm, I'm proud of you. But I came to believe that workshop was our special secret place. He'd leave treasures there for me. Seashells he claimed he'd found in some Wabash tributary a thousand miles from the ocean. That's the closest I ever came to understanding him. As a man who cared but didn't always have the words for it. He was a deeply private, enigmatic man. And that made him hard to love. Hard to love and easy to blame. What's your story, Pa? You liked working with your hands. You liked casseroles and country music and the color green. But none of that makes the tombstone, does it? You all already know Pa's story. His whole story from beginning to end. Someone killed his baby daughter. And you all blamed him. And then he blamed me. After that, Pa, you locked yourself away. You shut the workshop door and threw away the key. Myra. The truth is, you were a stubborn bastard. Myra! A cold and distant father. And the hole in my heart, the place that hurts right now, that's the same place you've been missing since long before you fell in a hay baler. Or jumped, for all we know. Are you out of your mind? I should never have come here. Well, it's a shame you didn't realize that until you finished your verbal one-finger salute to what's left of your father. Ma! You say he was stubborn, cold-hearted, distant? I say that makes two of you. There's a little girl out there in the downpour. She's an inch taller than I remember. Or maybe it's just a trick of the rain, tugging her dress down around her like a cloak on a skeleton. In the statue park, she sports pigtails, 
like Easter Sunday. But today her hair is just one long tangle of crimson. I wave. Is that you, Annabelle? Have you come to see Pa? Or me? Or both? We're engaged in a battle of wills. Um... Who's winning? I don't know. But she's the one getting rained on. I probably seem like a terrible father. <laughs> Maze! Maze, come on! I, I put it out, see? She's trying to get me to quit smoking. But I can't stop smelling that smell. Pulling poor old Ed out of the hay bale. I'd rather smell cigarettes. You were here? Must have been awful. Worse for Denson McDougal. He was the first of my guys on the scene. And we figure Ed fell in mid-morning trying to tighten a bolt. Same thing chewed on him so long it ran out of gas before anyone found him. You're the new sheriff. Liam. And the walking mop is my daughter Maisie. Maze, for short. Maisie Shepard, P.I. Private investigator? Yep. I suppress relief as I greet Maisie. Fourth grade, I'd guess. A smidge older than the time-frozen memory of Annabelle. Do you know if the body's in the coffin? Maze. Sorry. We've been out here for an hour because every time she gets near the living room, she goes for the lid. That's okay. I've been wondering the same thing. You, uh, know Ed well? You really have been out here a while. What's that mean? I... I used to. Long time ago. I figured. I haven't seen you around. Well, between you and me, I think his mind was slipping. Near the end, he would just end up in somebody's backyard or up at the uh, old quarry. No explanation for how he got there or why. I gave him my good mag light a few weeks back after I almost ran him over walking County 19 in the dead of night. He shouldn't have been anywhere near that hay bale. He was always stubborn about fixing things himself. So I've been told. Who'd you say you were? Myra. Abernathy. Mace, did Dead. you... Dead. Duh. Well, good. Very polite. We'll leave you alone, Miss Abernathy. Come on. No shoulder squeeze. No, what a tragedy. No giddy survivor's guilt. The sheriff is the fourth type of mourner. He knows no words will change the facts. And it's the facts that hurt. Hey, Sheriff. Liam, please. Liam. I think I know where to find that maglite. If you want it back. How long you been in Jubilee? Three years. Were you a cop before? Yeah, Baltimore. <laughs> Big difference? I guess. Why'd you move? Long story. Short version? If it's the same to you, I'd rather not. Sorry. But you realize that makes you like a walking cliche, right? 
the city cop with a dark secret? I promise it's much less exciting than that. Not much further. No rush. Can't get any wetter. Is there a light? Pause workshop. In my childhood, the shutters would hang open day and night. But after Annie, they were closed more and more often. For Pa, those shutters held out the world where Annie was dead. Now they hold in the world where he still lives. The musty smell of his old flannels. The looming shadow of his workbench. In the dark, the past persists. What am I looking for out here? Certainly not a mag light. Although I'm glad not to be alone. Wow. This place is a disaster. No offense. Is, uh... Is it always like this? No. Not even remotely. Could have been animals. No tracks. Robbery? I don't think so. Maze, I thought I told you to stay in the house. Is that... cash? Yeah, right here on the desk. Whoever did this, they were looking for something specific. Myra, are you alright? We need to move this. The desk? Yeah, is that a problem? Well, it is if this is a crime scene. Ah, come on. It's solid oak. It must weigh 500 pounds. 250 each if you stop standing around. Well, I'll stop standing around when you tell me what's going on. When I was little, Pa would hide gifts for me out here in the workshop. Beneath a little trapdoor by the workbench. In a secret compartment. The workbench is over there. Not in 1996, it wasn't. I'll get this corner. On three. One, two, three. like an old notebook. These rows. This must be everyone in Jubilee. And the columns. August 8th, 1997. July 19th, 1997. Jesse Kaplan. And my sister. Your dad. He was charting alibis. He was looking for the Jubilee child killer. There's something else. Maisie, can you fit your hand in there? What is it? It's... It's a cassette recorder.
me. Oh. I've got a lot of things to say to you, but I'm out of time. I haven't found the words. So I leave you just the facts, and I pray you find the truth between them. Um, fact one. Since last we spoke, three, four years, I guess, I've been consumed with the hunt for Annie's killer. Fact two. I haven't solved it, but I know I'm close. Because fact three. Fact three is he just tore this place apart. He didn't find my notes. Thank God. But he knows. So I need you to listen to me, Myra. Even if you hate what you're about to hear. I've spent it. In the bag with the recorder is an empty tape case. A date is inked in permanent marker. 9-26-2019. A little less than two weeks ago. Above that, the original title of the album remains. Conway Twitty, Who Will Pray For Me. It'll be my birthday in 12 days. And I wonder if this final thing my father hid for me is a present or a curse. I wonder if the last thing he saw was the face of the person who killed my sister. I wonder if he really fell in a hay baler or if he was pushed. Are you all right? Yeah. Can we listen to the rest? Please. Shh. It's okay. I... I guess we have to. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee was written, directed, and produced by Ethan Wellen. It stars Emily Goss as Myra, Zachary Cantrell as Liam, Susan Harmon as Brenda, Michael McShane as Ed, Marcelo Tubert as Berto, Haley Kewen as Maisie, original score by Kevin Hutchins, associate producer Emily Goss, associate producer Zachary Cantrell, one Eye Open was written and recorded by Andrea Perez and Peyton Widener. I guess I've never wondered what you were searching for. Thanks to Kat, Ron, The Evans, Monisha, Jack, David, and Tyler, without whom there could be no Jubilee. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. For cast bios, episode transcripts, and more, find our little town on Instagram, at 2 Pod. That's at the number 2, 
Dead Girls Pod. Thanks. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to real events or to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee contains material that may be upsetting to some audiences, including sudden loud noises, adult language, and depictions of murder and suicide. For more information, please find us on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's the number two Dead Girls Pod. Hi, Myra. It's me, Paul. I've got a lot of things to say to you, but I'm out of time. I haven't found the words. So I leave you just the facts, and I pray you find the truth between them. Fact one. Since last we spoke, three, four years, I guess, I've been consumed with the hunt for Annie's killer. Fact two, I haven't solved it, but I know I'm close. Because fact three, fact three, is he just tore this place apart. He didn't find my notes, thank God, but he knows. So I need you to listen to me, Myra. Even if you hate what you're about to hear. I've spent thousands of hours poring over case files, talking to suspects, verifying alibis, I've I've been to the end of every dead end and beyond. I've done it all in secret. At least as much as anything's a secret in a town as small as this. Not because I was afraid of being called crazy, although I'm sure it will be. It was because I believed the person who hurt Annie and Jesse was still here, still living in Jubilee. I've left you everything I know. Some is here in my notebook. The rest is hidden. A precaution in case this message is intercepted. To protect the people who helped me. To spare all of you my fate. Whatever that turned out to be. Myra, I know it's not fair. Leaving this to you. And if I believe there was anyone else, I... If there's anything left of you that doesn't hate me, this will surely do the trick. But my hope, my hope is that you'll decide to finish what I started. Be careful, Myra. Jubilee is watching. I have to go. Myra, wait! Don't... Uh, don't touch me! Sorry, sorry. I... I can't imagine what this must be like for you. You're right, you can't. He can't... He doesn't get to just die and saddle me with... I should never have come here. 
Tonight's top story, a deadly storm, a missing girl, and in Jubilee, Indiana, a homicide investigation. Annabelle was this beautiful, innocent little girl. Well, beautiful is a stretch. Hang, hang on, are you recording this? We're learning a second girl, Jessica Kaplan, has been found dead. Sheriff Donnelly, sir, do you plan to make an apology? We acted on the information available. I'm not going to apologize for that. Conspiracy. That's what I say. Goddamn conspiracy. 33% of murders in this country are never solved. Any reasonable person can see This here is a small town. Them girls was killed by a grass cut and him singing Jubilaner. That's why he ain't been stopped. No. The murder of Jesse Kaplan could have been stopped. Except nobody cared about Annie. Nobody did nothing until a second girl died. Be careful, Myra. Jubilee is watching. This is Two Dead Girls in Jubilee. Chapter 2. Manners of Suffocation. Okay, thank you. Yes, well, I'm sure she'll turn up. Ten PM, July nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Annabelle has been missing for eight hours. <coughs> uh, Brenda, hi. Sheriff Donnelly, there's cupcakes in the fridge. Myra, get the sheriff a cupcake. Okay. Oh, oh no, no need. I, I help myself. Ed here pointed the way. That was Mrs. Newsom on the phone? She teaches Annabelle and Myra's piano. She's along the route Annie would have walked, and we thought... Hmm. Yeah, I see. What can we do to help? Well, uh, I was hoping to ask Ms. Myra a few questions. I told you to get on with it. It's actually procedure to conduct the interview in private. You've been missing eight hours, Sheriff. Get on with it. Uh... uh Myra, I'd like to go over what happened today, up till your sister went missing. Uh, please don't leave anything out. We're looking for a hidden clue, and it could seem like something ordinary. Do you understand? Okay. Speak up. Yes, sir. Good. Um, how did the day begin? Uh, Ma worked Saturdays at Ernie's Diner. Annie and I stay home with Pa. We watch cartoons. Do you like that? I mean, uh, staying home with your father? Y yes, sir. Does Annie? Is that relevant? Ed. Shh. She likes it all right. Okay. Did anything unusual happen? Uh, we got a call from a stranger. A stranger. a stranger. It was a prank call. You've been getting them for weeks. It's more useful in her words. I just don't want to waste... Ed! Uh, did you talk to this person, Myra? A man, was it? No. Yes. I mean, well, Annie said he said he asked to speak to Paul. Did he? No. He uh, hung up, I think. Okay. Uh, what next? Well, uh, 
Paw sent Annie and I down to the drinking store uh, to get milk. Crap. You all right? Broke my pencil. What, um, <clears throat> what kind of milk? The one with the blue cap. Why didn't your father come along? Because I was covered in mud and bleeding out of three fingers. Ed! For the love of God, a flood washed out a telephone pole at the back of the farm and took a piece of our fence with it. I was trying all afternoon to reset the post. That's how I sliced my hand here. And that's why I sent the girls alone. But it ain't where Annie is. And it ain't how or why she ain't here. Is, uh... Is all that true, my... Now, hang Edward, on! shut up! Is it true? Yes, sir. Did Annie take anything unusual with her on your trip? A backpack, maybe? Money from her piggy bank? All, all we took was three dollars and a house key. It's on a red lanyard, the key. We should put that in the description. Okay, good. Uh, <clears throat> did you notice any cars on your walk? Anyone uh, following you? Oh, the road was empty. Completely empty? Yeah, I, I remember because, well, we stopped halfway. There were kittens, strays, I guess. They, they were caught in a storm drain, and we tried to rescue them with a tree branch. Until eventually one of those trucks, the ones with the bucket, well, one of those drove by and it, it scared him out of sight. Okay. Um, and, and then the store? Yes, sir. And then? Myra? Uh, I sent Annie home with the milk. Alone. As I look back, I'm struck that Donnelly spares me the last question. We don't trace my steps any further. Not past the gas and sip slushy machine. Not the long way around a park which didn't used to be haunted. Not on to Ernie's diner to beg Ma for a ride home in the oncoming rain. Donnelly doesn't ask why. Why on earth I ran off with schoolmate Denson McDougal. You remember, from Pa's wake? No one makes me say that at the same time an unknown murderous pervert was choking the life from my little sister, I was utterly preoccupied with a boy. I've spent much of the rest of my life grappling with how much an 11-year-old can or can't be held responsible for such a thing. Thank you, Miss Myra. You've been very helpful. Am I in trouble? Of course not. Right, Ed? I I'm confused. If that's true, then why the coffin? Berto, from work. I just told him everything. My train wreck eulogy, the trash workshop, pause tape. And I broke an additional bit of bad news. It's going to be impossible to do any further investigation of Pa's death via autopsy. Turns out he was cremated. The coffin thing goes back to Jesse Kaplan. The second murder victim? Mm-hmm. 
Because of the condition of the bodies, both girls were cremated. Annie was first, of course, and she was put in this awful cookie jar urn. But when Jessie's funeral came around, her parents resealed her ashes up in a child-sized box. Let people wonder if the killer's handiwork was still right there beneath the lid. Hush. Yeah, well, it left one heck of an impression on Ma. You can't kneel at the side of a cookie jar and sob and blubber with your hand on the lid. If you want people to pray to the corpse of your kid, or your husband for that matter, the big box is the way to go. Sorry? Signal's bad. What does your mother think of the tape? Oh. I didn't tell her. What? I didn't tell her about the tape. No, I heard you. I, I mean, why not? Because it's upsetting. And honestly, kind of embarrassing. Embarrassing? He's obsessed. Paranoid. He wasn't murdered, Birdo. This whole thing is... A gross fantasy, and keeping it from Ma is just me preserving a shred of his posthumous dignity. Which is a favor he doesn't deserve, by the way. You don't know that. Know what? That he wasn't murdered. <laughs> you didn't hear the tape. He's off his rocker. Well, she had to have known he was working on the case. Unhappily married people living very separate lives? At this point, nothing would surprise me. I'm hanging up. I'll be in the office at 11 if you want to start with the Rodriguez stuff. You're... You're coming back to Chicago? I'm not staying. I'm not playing his game. But if he really was murdered... If he really was murdered, then doing what he says is just begging to be the next little pile of ashes in a box the size of a corpse. And if he wasn't, which he wasn't, then the best I could do is chase the ghosts of Jubilee in circles for years, just like he did, and find nothing, just like he did, and then one day, snap, record a delusional suicide tape, and throw myself in a hay baler, just like he did. Suppose the killer is out there, and nobody catches him. Can you live with that? I already do live with that. Myra, let me... What's that? I gotta go. As a tinted cruiser rolls to a stop behind me, I feel a squeeze in my throat. Anticipation. Dread. It recalls the sensation of July 20th, 1997. A pre-dawn conversation I wish I hadn't overheard and a police siren I wish I could forget. She's been gone 15 hours. Dolly's checking train stations and bus depots. I told him how many times she wouldn't run away. He's checking everywhere he can think of. I want to go back out there. No, no. If someone finds her, he needs to be able to find us. I can't just sit on my hands while she's out there alone. Well, you sent her. Excuse me? Forget it. We're exhausted. We should try sleeping in shifts. If this goes on all day... I didn't send her alone. No. Okay. Okay. But you did send her with Myra, who is 11 years old. My father sent me on an overnight bus to Dallas when I was 11. That's different. How? She's not... I know how you think of Myra. 
But she's not your son. What difference does that make? Her father wouldn't have sent two girls on that overnight bus. Maybe not, but he would have sent them up the road to the store. And up until now, so would I. So would anybody in this town. So would you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just... She's been gone too long. And I can't shake this feeling that something terrible has happened. After I found out what happened to Annie, I did some reading. Turns out when a person is suffocated by strangulation, the only immediate discomfort is in the airway. Annie would have felt a pinch in her esophagus, a three on the Wong-Baker scale. But as CO2-rich blood cells enter the spinal cord, falling pH levels signal the brain that suddenly, simultaneously, every single life-sustaining function of the body is imperiled. That pain is a 10, and it's everywhere. The brain bulges as blood vessels malfunction under increased pressure. The diaphragm and lungs spasm wildly in search of oxygen. In the tips of the fingers and toes, pain animates involuntary flailing. The medulla believes you're underwater. It's trying to force you to swim. In fact, pretty much the only body part that isn't screaming is your larynx. At the moment Annie needs to scream most desperately in all her life. She can't manage a sound. I wasn't suffocating. Not really. I guess I'm just trying to say, standing outside the kitchen, realizing Annie might not ever come home, I sympathized. What's that? Myra? I, I can't breathe. Ed, uh, she's having a panic attack. Myra, stop it. Myra, just breathe. Myra! Do you hear that? I may only be 11 in this memory, but I know what that means. They call when they find your sister. They come in person when they find her body. I'm back in the Prius. An officer in a wide-brimmed hat raps on my window. Liam? Yup. Sorry. I, uh... Oh, I look absurd in this hat. What's happening? Is Ma... did something... Oh, oh. No, no, she's... <clears throat> yeah, everything's fine. Just, uh... Something I need to show you. Are you coming? I guess I knew you were upset, so I didn't figure you were going to skip town at first light. Pa's notebook? Yeah. What? Sirens were a bit much, don't you think? Well, I didn't start with the siren. I went out to your mom's house looking for you, and I don't have your cell phone number. It turns out she doesn't either, by the way. It's a new number. I've got work stuff in Chicago, and... Forget it. Do you want to show me or not? 
Right. Right here. What do you think? When it comes to my sister, conspiracy theories abound. And they usually have one thing in common. The name at the end of Liam's finger. Former Sheriff Craig Donnelly. I think these sorts of stories that say cops were working for the Illuminati or for government pedophiles or covering up a murder by one of their own, they're just overcomplications of a case bungled by small-town cops. In this case, well-meaning folks who never investigated anything worse than marijuana cigarettes. At least not until they found Annie. Craig Donnelly. In my book, he's just a guy in over his head. An incompetent. Not a killer. Well? Um, July 20th, 97. That's... Your sister. Donnelly has late lunch, Linville alone. Convenient, but we can come back to it. I'm talking about this. August 8th. Jesse Kaplan was abducted around 3 p.m. Your dad says Donnelly... Huh. Does that... I... No, I, I don't know. What were you hoping for? Unscramble the letters and it spells the name of the killer? <laughs> no, I just thought... He left all this for you. Maybe... It was meant to lead you to the next clue? Cruising Texarkana. Chasing Cadillacs. No, this is the whole thing with Donnelly. He actually does have a good alibi for Jesse. I mean, not good for him. It makes him look like an idiot. August 8th, 3 p.m., he's at the county jail, interrogating his only suspect in the murder of my sister. Are you saying he didn't realize until Jesse died? That the guy he'd humiliated, investigated, arrested, was innocent? No. Jesse sent us all back to the beginning, to the hours after Annie, to the second in a series of wrongs that could never be taken back. Sheriff, did you find something? Did you find Annie? We're back to the morning of July 20th, 1997. Donnelly stands at the foot of our porch, flanked by four deputies. They're familiar boys, born and raised in Jubilee. Two of them, I see, are soaked to mid-chest and shivering in the pre-dawn chill. Another, Dave Hightower, is newly married to my Sunday school teacher, Miss Cindy. And I realize with a sort of detached sympathy that it'll probably be her who has to scrub the slowly crusting vomit off the front of Dave's uniform. He's barely 23 years old and pale as death. They all are. I... <clears throat> I came to tell you, um... I went up to the Greyhound Depot to see if I could shake loose any tips. And 
while I was up there, uh, a big rig trucker stopped out on CR-19, got on our police channel to report something strange floating in the old town quarry. Uh, the boys here met me down there, and, uh, ah, hell, Brenda. I've never had to do this before, and I'm no good at it. She's dead. Annabelle is dead. Oh, gosh. Twelve. Ed. Brenda. No, 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 not bus stop. <laughs> Maybe we could she send Myra inside. How does it happen? Brenda, please. You told me Myra to stay inside, home. And I was sitting on my hands. She drowned. She didn't drown, goddammit. What did you say? She didn't drown. Ed, we need you to come down to the station with us. For, for what? Maybe it's a mistake. Some other girl drowned. The bodies. It's not a mistake. And for the last time, nobody drowned. Annabelle was strangled. She was already dead when she was thrown in that quarry. Stripped, half naked. We, we think it's likely the killer that he... Uh, Please, Ed, we've known each other a long time. Come get in the car. Don't make me cuff you in front of Myra. Are you accusing me of murder? Craig, we go to church together. You don't think... If I kill anybody, it's going to be you. If you hadn't been wasting time on the damn bus stops. Jesus Christ, high tower. I said oh no guns. Myra, stay back! You're gonna shoot a father stop. on his own porch! Stop it. Everybody stop! Nobody is going to shoot anybody. Ed is gonna walk real slow to the back of the cruiser. If you think I'm just gonna go quietly, without well, some kind of explanation. Okay, okay. The utility truck, the one Myra saw on the way to the store yesterday, that was Bill Burton. He was headed out to State Road 270 North to fix that telephone pole behind y'all's farm. Says he was out there three or four hours, from when your girls walked out to Jenkins' shop until the rain started dumping. He never saw you, Ed. Said that fence been righted two days or more. So, nobody's accusing anybody of anything at this juncture. We'd just like you to come down to the station to help us figure out why Bill Burton would lie about a thing like that. Because the alternative, mm, that'd be you lying about where you were, about what you were doing when your daughter disappeared. In the next 48 hours, Donnelly will delve into every aspect of our private lives. He'll separately interrogate us, asking questions about the cut on Pa's hand, what he was really doing the afternoon of July 19th. Questions about a dishonorable discharge from the Air Force. About why and for how long he and Ma have slept in separate rooms, in separate beds. He'll ask questions I don't quite understand. About if Pa has ever brought me into that room. If Pa has ever brought Annie into that bed. Donnelly's deputies will toss our house twice, on two separate warrants. Although they'll never spot anything more consequential than the thing Donnelly already spotted 12 hours previous, in the midst of retrieving his cupcake. An item which, as much as Annie's disappearance itself, 
set in motion the Rube Goldberg machine that destroyed my family. An unopened gallon of 2% milk. As Pa sits into the back of the cruiser, his eyes meet mine. And I know, instantly, that Donnelly is wrong. That no killer could manage such deep and earnest bewilderment. Such righteous indignation. Such bottomless despair. But what about Donnelly? Meaning, was he the head of a conspiracy to frame Pa? A plan that fell apart in the face of a badly timed second murder? Or was he just a bumbling bully of a cop, scared out of his wits by the sight of a murdered child? I guess I've never been 100% sure. Myra. Myra. Hey. <sighs> Sorry, there's... Read it to me one more time. Cruising Texarkana, chasing Cadillacs. It's a Wayne Hancock song. Liam stares at me expectantly. He's guessing at something I already know. That Pa owned Johnny Law on a cassette. In my mind's eye, I give him a shrug and a smile. I wish him good luck, and I walk away. But then I hear Birdo. Can you live with it if he's out there and he goes free? I do live with it. Don't I? Or is the truth that my life has been on hold all these years? Is my entire lonely existence a defense against how badly I want, maybe need, to ask who killed Annabelle Abernathy and to be able to name someone who isn't me? In the silence, I notice the slow-turning drone of race cars in far-off Kent, their drivers circling one of a thousand cemeteries for Brickyard Dreams. Like me, they race and race and race, and yet with every turn find themselves hurtling back towards the place it all began. Okay. I'll look. Well, what about those work things? I can put them off. You'll have the whole town in a twist if you go out to the farm and start going through Pa's stuff. Okay. Of course. I'll talk to you soon, I guess. You got a pen? What's that? My cell number. Don't chase me around with those sirens. Gives me the creeps. Hey, what do you think we're gonna find on that tape? Proof that Pa was going senile. And nobody killed him. I say it more for myself than for Liam. Because the alternative. That it may lead to the identity of a man who killed my sister, who killed Jesse Kaplan, and then killed my father to cover it up? I'm not sure if that's something to hope for. Or something to be afraid of. I feel a familiar tightness in my windpipe, the slipknot of my past tickling gently at my throat. It's a far cry from strangulation, but a manner of suffocation, just the same.
basis of our home I've never wanted to know Why you could never let go Two Dead Girls in Jubilee was written, directed, and produced by Ethan Wellen. It stars Emily Goss as Myra, Zachary Cantrell as Liam, Susan Harmon as Brenda, Michael McShane as Ed, Marcelo Tubert as Berto, John Alley as Donnelly, Carrie Gutierrez as Young Myra, Original Score by Kevin Hutchins, Associate Producer Emily Goss, Associate Producer Zachary Cantrell, one Eye Open was written and recorded by Andrea Perez and Peyton Widener. I guess I've never wondered what you were searching for. Thanks to Kat, Ron, the Evans, Monisha, Jack, David, and Tyler, without whom there could be no Jubilee. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. For cast bios, episode transcripts, and more, find our little town on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's at the number two Dead Girls Pod. Thanks. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to real events or to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And that's this week's show. Please check for Two Dead Girls in Jubilee show links at sonicsociety.org or join them on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. Join us next week as we listen to another series straight out of New York City. And until then, I'm David Alt. And I'm Jack Ward. Have a lovely week, folks. Good day, everyone.
one knows where he comes from. Some say he's not a man. Some say he's a force. Not of nature, but of something more primal than that. He's the acid taste of vengeance you can't quite swallow down in a town that's besieged by fear an unbreathed regret. Others say he was a man who wouldn't rest until all the pain in the world was fed back to those who minded out of others. He's only known by one name, from county to county, in the hours past dawn. And in the haze-filled air, you'll see him walking towards you if you keep secrets. If you harm folks. He's the drifter. And he won't stop. Till sorrow's end. A weird western series from Jeffrey Billard starring The Drifter. From Audio Groovecats and the Amigo Collective. Coming 2023 only on Mutual with Episode 1, Before a Wind. <laughs>